0: This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently. What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work? In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries, and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra successful and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. On today's show, we're talking about the power of mentorship. A mentor can be the guide who jumpstarts your ambition sharpens your focus, and nudges you to face your fears and take leaps. And a mentee can offer an industry veteran surprising and fresh perspectives. We wondered just how these relationships begin, how they develop, and what each side gets out of it. So we invited a fascinating duo for today's conversation.
1: Hey, this is Chris. This is
2: Gavin.
0: The chef restaurateur Gavin Kaysen and chef Chris Nye. Gavin Kaysen is a two-time James Beard award-winning chef. In Minneapolis, he owns and operates the restaurants Spoon and Stable, Demi, and Bellicor. Back when he was starting out in New York City, Gavin worked under world-renowned chef Danielle Balud and spent seven years as Balud's executive chef and director of culinary operations.
2: At first, I think what I was seeking was the opportunity to work for him, and I knew I could learn a lot. What I ended up gaining was a friend and a mentor for life.
0: And Gavin continued that tradition of mentorship with Chris Nye. They met at Cafe Baloud, where Chris was working the line.
1: Everyone at the restaurant knew that there was gonna be a new chef. No one knew who it was. Someone found out, everyone instantly knew, everyone jumped on their phone to look up who it was. So once I found out he was from Bloomington, Minnesota, I was really excited. Chris, you know, sort of made the immediate connection when I walked into the
2: kitchen, uh, that we were both from Minneapolis. I'm not sure I really cared so much at the time because you didn't. I had too much going on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I knew in my gut that with Gavin coming through, I knew I would connect with him maybe in a way that could eventually be beneficial later in my career.
0: A few years ago, they both returned to the Twin Cities to reconnect with their roots and bring back home what they had learned from New York's fine dining scene. Chris is now the executive chef of Soignet Hospitality, Gavin's restaurant group. It's one thing to get a new supervisor. It's another to see that top chef as your mentor. So I asked Chris about when he first looked to Gavin for mentorship.
1: I didn't really honestly know what a mentor was in the kitchen environment. I had never really had what I felt was a mentor. Definitely in the restaurant industry, I had bosses, but no one that really cared as much or more about me than they did about themselves. Um, and I think really that's what it's all about is putting the ego aside and doing something that really, truly is is hundred percent for the person under you. I, I was definitely searching for it. You know, I said I didn't know what it meant, but I, I there was something inside of me that that knew that if I stuck around, I could have that.
0: So Gavin, the apprentice model seems to be in use in the restaurant world a lot. Uh, how is mentorship different from apprenticeship?
2: Well, I think mentorship goes deeper than just within the craft of what you're doing. You know, I think the apprenticeship model that I've seen and that I've worked through myself is really an, a model that, you know, you go to your different chefs and you you effectively gain your classical training or the training in which you're seeking through that chef. And then they sort of move you to a different chef and you kind of move around with their advice you know, whereas mentorship is is something that becomes a little bit more deeply personal and it's a relationship and working at that relationship constantly, both parties, it allows a little bit more vulnerability through the process of trying to figure out what's next for you in your life. And sometimes it takes experiences and, and time to reflect to look back on that and say, yeah, that, that was definitely an experience that I needed and that was a mentor that I needed. I mean, Danielle Balud is my mentor and has been since I started working at Cafe Balut, I mean, Thomas Keller is one of my mentors and has been since we created the Mentor Foundation in 2008. And I've got to to know both of those gentlemen on a different level and on a very personal level. But I know they're all, I know that they're both a phone call away if I ever need anything. And that's not just restaurant based. And I think that that, that that's also what a mentor can do is they can help guide you through some of those murky waters when you need to get through them.
0: So it it seems like an incredibly personal experience, and I'm wondering what the things are that you look for in a person that you're willing to take on in that type of way.
2: I'm not sure how much of a mentor or mentee has an opportunity to choose as much as it's chosen for them. You know, I'm not sure that Chris and I started to work together, you know, now five years ago plus. At Spoon and Stable, I'm not sure that we both went into that restaurant thinking that it would be a mentor-mentee relationship. I think it was more like, hey, let's open up this restaurant together. Let's see how it goes, and let's see what happens. And through time, you know, we've gained a different friendship and a different relationship out of it as a result. And that takes both parties working at it. So I think the best relationships, at least the mentor relationships, are the ones that happen organically.
0: Well, to you both, were there early missteps you found as you're kind of establishing this relationship and finding your footing?
2: A lot of it's communication. Yeah. I, know.
1: I, there were a lot of times when we were going through the opening at Spoon that it was just the two of us in the office. And the biggest thing for us, which solidified it, was just going through that hardship of the opening and, and going through all of the battles and all of the staffing issues, all of the purveyor issues, all of the challenges that are presented when you have 40 guests waiting outside in the middle of November in Minnesota, just wanting to get in to see the space and eat the food and try the beverages. Going through that that challenge and, and that battle was really a moment for us where we had to lean on each other and look at each other and be like, hey, can you help me? Or can I help you? How can I do that? Um, and just knowing that we were there for each other, I think if we didn't go through that, uh, we wouldn't have the relationship that we have now. You know, I, th- I think that we were vulnerable, and we were able to trust each other in that vulnerability. And I thought that that's really kind of something we share even to this day sometimes. Uh, you know, I have two young children, and Gavin has two kids as well. They're they're older than mine, but he gave me a lot of advice um, about being a new parent. And, and I think if we didn't go through that struggle, I wouldn't be comfortable kind of asking him like, Hey, you know, how do I, how do I manage two kids, um, at the same time, you know, so I I think the restaurants and yeah, everything else, (laughs) right? you know, I mean, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm as comfortable as ever to go to Chris anytime and say, you know, Hey, what do you think of this? Even if, even if my idea is totally off and wrong, I'm happy to ask, I'm happy to send it to him and see what he thinks. And he'll tell me if it's off and wrong. And I think that that's another part of it is that I'm not ever ashamed or embarrassed to offer thoughts, advice, or ideas in the idea of of being egotistical of the fact that I'm the mentor. You know, I think that that's simply the wrong way to to look at it. In fact, you know, I gain as much education through the process as he does, probably. All
0: right. So if we talk about the two-way street of mentorship, Gavin, what's one surprising thing you really learned from Chris early on, even though he had a lot less experience at that point than you
2: had? I think the biggest thing that I've, that I learned, especially when we opened up Spoon was just his, his commitment and his dedication. Not that I ever questioned it, but when you open your own business, you know, you often think that maybe you are the most committed and the most dedicated. And what I found quickly was I found a partner in Chris when we opened at the restaurant. Hmm. Actually, we'll never forget the day we opened up the restaurant and we were so busy. We were running around and we were prepping and it was basically he and I setting up the whole kitchen and then all of a sudden the doors open and he just looks at me and grabs my hand and gives me a hug and says, here we go. You know, and it was a really pivotal moment for me. And it was a really important moment for me to sort of stop and just give me 30 seconds to like reflect on what it was that we were doing. And it was opening up a restaurant, but it was opening up something that I had thought about for years and years and years. And to have somebody next to you that looks at that in a selfless way and says, I'm here for you. I'm here to help. I'm here to guide this team with you. It was a really wonderful moment.
0: Wow. It it seems like the level of commitment there was really valuable to you, especially in that moment. And Chris, what's something that you learned early on that seemed to be a real game changer for you?
1: Gavin's a big picture guy. I'm not. So that has really kind of helped me lay tracks in my life and in my career. That's really the biggest thing for me. He's helped guide what I do on a daily basis and not just for the quick results. It's kind of the long-term gain and helped me be a leader to my staff using that tool and helping to relay that message to them. And I've never really thought about mentorship in this industry until I started working for Gavin. And now finding myself mentoring those under me has really kind of taken my passion for this industry and created a whole new area for me to be passionate about you know it's not just about the food it's not just about what's on the plate you can help create great lives and long-lasting careers for the next generation and improve your community and improve the food system in your city and helping them to see the big picture that i'm here to make you better and the whole team better and the restaurant better as a whole. What's crazy about Chris's answer
2: too is that if you would have asked him that same question five years ago, it would have been a totally different answer. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, he's it's just it's remarkable to sort of see and hear and and watch him on a daily basis mentor the team because it's it's really he's changed as a person, uh, not just as a chef. And when you when you see that and you have somebody that that that's looking at things in the light that he's discussed in that answer you end up building a better kitchen and a better system and a better company as a result.
0: So Chris, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing, it sounds like you had a really pivotal moment a while back.
1: It wasn't like an epiphany, something that happened overnight, but I started to understand how to take my emotions and analyze them rather than act on them. Before I was, I think I was taking things very personally and it made me feel terrible. You know, I, I couldn't sleep. I went home angry and I realized that all of these emotions are affecting my life outside of work. And what I realized is that it was really just the way I was taking things. And I decided that I need to change the way that I'm being affected. It's not worth it. I realized that when I stopped Seeming angry to everyone, uh, I still get angry, but not definitely not as often. Um, and Not over the small stuff, but I realized that the way that people responded was much more positive, and I saw change, and I saw better results, and I saw people grow, and I saw my relationships with improve with other people because the atmosphere had changed. It become more positive, more educational, more supportive, and more accepting.
0: Can you give me a specific example of kind of a story or illustration of this shift for you and, you know, how that played out?
1: Yeah. So the the life as a chef is very stressful. You know, right right at five o'clock, the doors open every day. You have to be on. um, So you have to have a good amount of control. But the thing that you can't control directly is the performance of someone else. So it can really affect the service uh, if you don't allow people to fail. So as a chef, during the service, you need to be very present for everyone. So I think communicating to me was was a really big thing to be able to manage effectively. Instead of going over and yelling at the cook for using wilted garnish, uh, I can... Just head over and say, hey, can you fix this? This looks better. Please use the best thing that's on your station. And that's it. Um, The emotions weren't involved. They weren't affecting my thought process. They weren't affecting um, my communication. They weren't affecting the approachability to me from the staff. Uh, So I think that that was the biggest thing for me that, that helped change the way I manage people.
0: Yeah. I mean, not taking things personally is certainly a cultivated skill. And it's something that requires a lot of discipline and self-restraint and, you know, ability to take back and, and look at things objectively. So, Gavin, can you tell me in the context of looking at how you impact others, how do you navigate hard conversations of things that are not going well?
2: Honestly, it's a, usually a very honest conversation. It's pretty candid there's not much beating around the bush to it. It's just like, this isn't right. This isn't good. We got to fix that. This is not happening. But, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate those conversations when you don't have somebody who's fully involved or fully willing to hear what you're having to say. And I think that's the other thing, too, is that, you, you know, to get somebody who's truly a mentor and a mentee relationship, both of you have to be willing to hear what is going to be said. On both sides of the aisle, you cannot give all of it and then expect nothing to come back. And there's got to be pushback, too. And, you know, that's something that I you know I know personally for myself. I work on it all the time because, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to say, no, no, let's do it like this, this is how I want it. But that's very rarely always the right answer.
0: After a quick break, we'll hear more about Gavin's relationship with his own mentor, Danielle Baloud. Hey, listeners. Here at The Relentless, we're in the midst of planning our season finale. When it comes to the close, it's not just about that ultimate endpoint in a deal. It's about making it an extraordinary experience along the way. For real estate agents, there are over a hundred steps to getting to the close. The ups and downs of that journey are exhilarating. We want your questions. What specific questions do you have around the closing experience? We'd really like to hear from you. So send us a message. Our email address is Century21Pod at slate.com. Or tweet your question with the hashtag Century21Pod. And we may use your question in our upcoming episode. We're back with Gavin Kaysen and Chris Nye. So, Gavin, kind of going back in your a bit in your own career, you had referenced that you had a really kind of rock star mentor in Danielle. And for listeners who may not know who that is, can you tell us a little bit about him?
2: Sure. So Danielle Belude is a, is a chef and restaurateur in New York City. He owns about, I think, 14 restaurants around the world now. He had five when I first started to work for him. We opened up many restaurants with his company. He's one of the most well-known restaurateurs in the world and chefs in the world. And his lineage, for me, is really remarkable. I mean, he you know, he trained with Paul Bocuse, who was the pope of, of our Cooking era. And Danielle has trained countless people. He has this book called Letters to a Young Chef, which I read when I was living in San Diego as a young chef. Well, his 10 year anniversary to that book, he asked to rewrite the book. And in rewriting it, he asked, you know, five or six of his mentees to write a chapter. One was on discipline and, you know, one's on taste. Everyone has a different chapter. And he, he gave me the honor to write the portion about discipline. I just remember writing it and then reading it back and thinking about it and seeing it in print and just being like, you know, what a full circle moment that is, right? You know, where 10 years prior, I read this book and was inspired to seek out this person to work for. And then Mm -hmm. 10 years later, I'm now writing a portion of this book with him.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So what would you say is the most important lesson that you really took away from your mentorship?
2: Honestly, there's so many lessons. I think probably his attention to detail is remarkable. He could walk into any kitchen, any restaurant, and if there is dust in the corner, if the speaker is a little bit too loud then one side of the dining room, or if the lighting is a little bit off, he knows. It doesn't matter. He could be in there for 30 seconds, and he could say, oh, it's a little bit too warm in here. We need to turn the heat down. And I've picked up on that. Big what, time. <laughs> yeah, whether whether I meant to or not, I've picked up on that. I can be out of the restaurants for three days and come back and look somewhere and say, "Oh, we've got to we got to dust that speaker." Um,
1: I'm doing that now. Yeah, exactly. Also, yeah. By the way,
2: that's what Chris does now. He, you know, yeah. it's just you 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 pick up on it. The other thing too that I think I picked up on him a lot of is is just the genuine care and hospitality for the guest for your team.
0: Are there any mistakes that you look back on and said you made as a mentee, if you're honest, with your own journey?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, my biggest mistake that I made when I first started to work for him was thinking that I could do it on my own. And thinking that I didn't need all of the resources that he had, mainly because I didn't know what was there. But Mm -hmm. it was my mistake for not asking. And so uh, we lost a, a big group of cooks And uh, Danielle came to help me do service one night. And, you know, we had a pretty honest conversation about that. And he says, you know, you just call me. If you need me to work the meat station, I'll work the meat station. If you need me to expedite, I'll expedite. And he wasn't kidding. It's when I really realized, okay, this is somebody who I can rely on. This is somebody who has my back. I had just never really been in that situation before. One of the most important things I learned with Danielle is that I was never afraid to fail with him. I knew if I'd fail... I had a safety net below me. I knew it. Mm. I knew no matter how hard I fell, somebody was there that was going to catch me. And I think Chris has felt that with us at Swanee Hospitality Company is that if he fails, it's okay. There's people that are there to catch him. And that failure is, is an important part of growth.
1: Yeah, I think as a mentee, if you're not allowed to fail, you have a sense that maybe your mentor doesn't trust you. I think that that's really important that that sense of trust and I feel that I have ownership it, the restaurant is very much a part of me, and I think that Gavin's really good about preaching that, you know, like run the business like it was your own,
0: yeah, and Chris, do you see any parallels with your own experiences
1: i mean it, it it's what it's all about is being there for each other i mean i I don't text anyone that texts back faster than he does you know he's always there for me no matter what time of the night and i do my best to be the same for him he talks about danielle being like his his family and how he was raised well gavin as a mentor is is how he was mentored
0: what's interesting is it seems as though mentorship done right creates legacy
1: absolutely oh yeah a hundred
2: percent. I mean, that's that's exactly what it does. And I don't think there's a mentor out there that goes into it thinking that that's what they want out of it. Uh, but I think ultimately, it, it does end up happening that way. Isn't that kind of what it's about, though?
1: Is creating a legacy that we all can share? Yeah, yeah, and cre-
2: and, and sharing that knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, holding on to that knowledge is just—it's not—it's not fair. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to all the people that work with you and for you and. You know, I'm I'm part of an organization called Mentor, and our task and why we created the foundation was to do this, to mentor young professionals around our country and to give them an opportunity to travel around the world and work in kitchens that they would otherwise never be able to work in, and, and we grant them money to do so. I mean, our, our organization's given away over a million and a half dollars just to that initiative alone in the last couple of years.
0: And Chris, what is a tip that you might have of what someone should look for in a mentor?
1: I think... It, it's someone who's present, you know, someone who takes the time out of their schedule or her sacrifices for you. Um, I think that Gavin's always been really good about that. You have to be present.
2: I think Chris touches on something that's so relevant in our business, too, which is that every day at 5 o'clock our doors open. So there's hundreds of people that we take care of on a nightly basis. And sometimes more than that, if we can take care of 250 people in one restaurant a night but you can't make time 30 minutes to sit down with that cook at the end of the service to guide them and mentor them to be better the next day what the hell are we doing that is really one of our main goals which is yes take care of the guest 100% but at the end of the night sit down and take care of each other don't go off and blow steam and have six whiskeys sit down and talk about service and what that means and have the hard conversations. Have the hard conversations. And and like Chris said, be be honest and be open and make time and listen and all of those things. That's That's really, really important.
0: So here's a question about mentorship from one of our listeners. Other than just, I need help, what kind of questions could you as a mentee come to your mentor with?
1: I think a lot of what I've learned from Gavin hasn't. Always came from conversation, so I, I think taking everything in, watching, listening, really helps me in our relationship because he doesn't, doesn't always have time to sit down and have the conversations. So I, I watch how he leads people, and then I try to use those tools that I, I learned by observing.
0: Gavin, any thoughts?
2: I agree. I mean, I, I also believe that you know, going to a mentor and and saying you know, this is what I need help with as the mentor. Sometimes the answer is to actually walk through the question with them, right. And sort of walk through all those scenarios and let them break it down and sort of show them and guide them a way to break that process down. So in that way, when you're done breaking the process down, they kind of look at you and they say, I have the answer and you actually haven't given them the answer. That's also part of the process. You want them to be able to walk away and say, I figured out this answer on my own. Now, the next time this happens, I sort of know what I need to do to break this down to to make a decision.
0: That's great. So you're not just answering a question, but you're kind of teaching them how to solve not just that problem, but think about future problems.
2: You have to. I mean, that's one of the most important parts of being a mentor.
0: When you look at, like, the structure, if someone says, look, I'm trying to learn, how would you instruct them to kind of look at the nuts and bolts of it? Is there a formal structure? Do you have regular check-ins? Or is it something that's relatively unstructured?
2: I think everybody's a little bit different. I mean, some people have regular check-ins with us and with me and, you know, some it's a little bit less structured that way. But, you know, at the end of the day, it it is a constant relationship and that communication is really,
1: really vital.
0: So who drives the conversation? Uh, is it a top-down thing? I mean, how would you describe it?
1: Often it's just an idea and then it goes from there. You know, as far as our relationship, I mean, he's still my boss. You know, so I have to say yes more often than I say no. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think there's there's equal respect, and I think that that's really important in the relationship. I don't, I don't think that someone shows dominance over over the other. You know, I, I don't think that that's what a mentor is.
0: Yeah, what I love about what you both are discussing is that, you know, sometimes when people see it from the outside, it appears very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like there is someone who's definitely, you know, the leader in that. And that may be true to some extent, but it seems as though your egos are really kind of pulled out of it. And there is that kind of openness uh, and vulnerability where people are able to chat very freely. And that's what makes it work to some extent.
2: I think so and I think you know sometimes you have a mentee that needs to have the hierarchy and needs to have the discipline in a different way and you know as the mentor you have to be able to read that relationship. It doesn't mean that you're always going to read it per- perfectly or correctly all the time but you know you need to read the relationship and say, you know, this person is struggling right now and they need a weekly check-in. And so you do that weekly check-in. You know, I have somebody who who I consider I, a mentee of mine who, you know, we we do weekly check-ins and it and it helps the process. Because it just, it doesn't bottle anything up. And again, I mean, I think it just really depends on who the person is and how we can help.
0: What advice do you have for someone who's seeking a mentor that might not be in their direct network, like in their sphere of influence?
2: My biggest recommendation and piece of advice for somebody who's looking to find a mentor that's outside of their sphere is to really be thoughtful about who you choose and be a little bit selfish in who you choose for that too because it's, it's somebody who needs to give you a little bit more time than they would if they were in your sphere every single day and you'll have to give them more time. So whoever that is and, and however that breaks down, just know that it's going to take a little bit more of an effort and as a result, hopefully you get a better result.
0: And so how do people approach you? How does that happen?
2: Sometimes it happens through letters and emails, more Commonly because of social media, it happens through messages via social media, which I don't I don't always answer mm-hmm. because I, I don't have time. But I've had people come to us and, I mean, write like really, really thoughtful letters and you can't help but just be inspired by them and, and inspired to, to talk to them. And sometimes it's a one-off conversation and that's all they needed. Sometimes it's a little bit more than that.
0: Well, I think what's kind of inspirational as well is that, you know, people are still reachable. Like if someone can reach you, you know, via letter uh, through social media – That's a really, I guess, hopeful message that people can kind of connect in ways that maybe they never thought possible.
2: You know, when I got my job at Danielle, I wrote him a letter. Hmm. I wrote him a one-page letter that said I would come and work at his restaurant for one week for free to learn, and then I would go back to the restaurant I was working at in San Diego. That single decision that I made to write that one letter was the most impactful decision of my life. No question about it in my career, because... That led to a relationship and a friendship with Danielle. It led to he and I discussing at length for years of what could ever happen. And when I resigned and moved back home, he sent me that letter in the mail that he had saved that I had written eight years ago. And in the top right corner, it had an asterisk and it said, Cynthia, who was our HR director at the time, please hold on to letter. Could be future chef for us.
0: (laughs) Wow. What an incredible story.
2: Yep one letter. So, you know, if, if you do anything, it's like, just try. Don't give me the excuse that you didn't try. Don't tell me you didn't try to reach out to that person. If you tried and they didn't, and they didn't respond and they didn't reach out back. Okay. Then that's the way it is. It doesn't mean you can't try again.
0: It's such a great message because I can see it how it might apply across any profession, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone wanted a mentorship or a mentor in entrepreneurship or, you know, in sales or in real estate, that maybe reaching out is a strategy that, that really can bring more results than they might anticipate. Absolutely. So, Chris and Gavin, how do you each define Relentless.
2: That's a good question. I mean, for me, to be relentless is somebody that is also, you know, highly disciplined, emotional. You know, somebody that looks at every opportunity. You know, I really look at it as an attitude more than anything else.
1: Chris? Yeah, relentless for me is someone that doesn't cut a corner or pass up an opportunity. I think just consistent every day and unwavering is really what relentless means to me.
0: So, what's next for each of you?
2: Well, tonight we're going to cook dinner.
1: Yeah, (laughs) for
0: 250
2: people. (laughs) For 250 people.
0: Well, best of luck in your cooking tonight. It was such a pleasure having you both. Gavin, Chris, just wonderful talking with you. And thank you for being so open and sharing so much of your knowledge with us today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you. It was a blast to be here.
0: The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. Thanks so much for listening, and please join us next time. Copyright Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate, LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured, and not necessarily, of Century 21 Real Estate.